This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. When you get up in the morning, have you ever wondered what God has in mind for you today? Perhaps a better question might be, what can I do for God today? That sort of puts the ball in our court. But if we look back to the lives of some who came before us, I think we'd be surprised just how many started their day with that exact question. And from the very young to the very old, history records the wonders they performed, which gives us a pretty clear picture that God doesn't work with specific timetables. And these people who accomplished so much were not looking for a place in history, but history was looking for them. And such was the case of Fernando Martino, who was born in an elegant palace situated near the beautiful cathedral in Lisbon on the Feast of the Assumption way back in 1195 and was baptized a few days later at the shrine of Our Lady of Pilar. And he would one day place his life under her protection. And so his story began. And more than 800 years later, He's remembered for always thinking, what can I do for God today? While his contemporaries enjoyed the frivolity of youth, Fernando was more concerned with listening to the will of God and focusing more on the hereafter than the here and now, and as a result, he focused on obeying God's will in all things. He was never lazy or idle. He was a good student who applied himself to his studies. He had a prodigious memory, but the more he learned about God, the more he longed to spend his life away from the maddening crowd to the quiet solitude of a a monastery where he could devote his days to serving God in his own quiet way. Now, not too far from Lisbon was the Augustinian Monastery of St. Vincent, And with the permission of his parents, when he was about 15, he applied for admission and was accepted into the religious brotherhood and clothed in the Augustinian habit. Somehow, his friends from the outside world still sought out his companionship with frequent visits to the monastery, which, while he was glad to see them, considered the visits as a distraction from his desire to leave the outside world for the solitude of the monastery. After about two years, he was allowed to seek sanctuary at another monastery, the Abbey of Santa Cruz in Coimbra, about a hundred miles away. Incidentally, Coimbra is not too far north of Fatima, where centuries later the Mother of God would appear to the three shepherd children, and Lucia, the only surviving child of the apparitions, would eventually spend the rest of her earthly life at a convent in Coimbra. But back to Fernando. The Abbey of Santa Cruz was well known as an outstanding seat of learning, with some of the brightest minds in Europe, and Fernando reveled in the opportunity of devoting more and more time studying and reflecting on various aspects of sacred scripture and theology, which was pretty impressive for a youth now just 17 years of age. But God was cementing the foundation of Fernando future. By the time he was 24, he was named to the position of guest master at the monastery when five Franciscans, three priests and two brothers, visited the monastery on their way to bring the word of Christ to the people of Morocco. 
knowing full well that they risk death to accomplish their goals. The five Franciscan missionaries so inflamed the passion of Fernando that he prayed that he too would have the opportunity to suffer persecution for the faith if he were but given just the opportunity. Well, the five Franciscans were martyred for the glory of God, and their remains were returned to Portugal. And Fernando was now a priest. He had learned more about this Francis who had founded a new order, and the more he learned about their life of frugality and brotherly love and, and sacrifice, the more he felt a call to also follow this mystic Francis, where he too could serve God through poverty and helping his fellow man, and, and possibly even he too might become one day a martyr for Christ. One day a Franciscan came to the monastery and Fernando and the brothers spent long hours talking about the mission of the followers of Francis, and this intrigued the heart of Fernando. Soon the Franciscan became very ill, and while Fernando was saying Mass, the Franciscan died. And at that very moment, Fernando, in a moment of ecstasy, saw the Franciscan's soul fly through purgatory and ascend like a dove through the gates of heaven. Well, to him, this was a symbolic message. Fernando was so moved that he received permission from his prior to follow the order of Francis, and the prior, bidding him farewell, said, Go thy way, thou surely will become a saint. And shortly thereafter, Fernando exchanged the pure white robes of the Augustinians for the rough brown fabric that's the habit of the Franciscans. Not only was his habit changed, but so was his name, from Fernando to Anthony, after the great St. Anthony of the Desert, who had renounced great wealth to become a hermit living in the desert. He had struggled with the devil and was victorious, living a life of solitude and providing great comfort and inspiration to the followers of Christ. The name of Fernando now belongs to the past, as the new Franciscan Anthony wished to follow the paths of the five martyrs he had known in Santa Cruz by becoming a missionary to the Saracens in Morocco and accompanied by his friend Filippo, a lay brother, they received permission and were filled with a true missionary zeal to lay down their lives, if necessary, to introduce the populace to the glory of Christ. However, after arriving in Morocco, and before they even had a chance to begin their work, Anthony was struck down with a terrible fever, so bad that his superiors were notified, and the two were ordered to return to Portugal. Ever obedient, the two left for home, but a terrible storm threw their ship off course, landing them on the shores of Sicily, where they finally made their way to a convent of the Friars Minor in Messina, where they stayed for two months as Anthony slowly recovered his health. The friars received word of a, a large meeting of the Franciscan order in Assisi. It appeared God had interceded in Anthony's plans so that he would be able to go and meet the founder of his order, the Holy Francis himself. Although he would see Francis, Anthony was like an invisible guest, unnoticed, 
However, the 26-year-old Anthony did not go to be noticed or seen, but to learn and to become an even better Franciscan. No one seemed interested in his services. This didn't matter to him. His only desire was to be near the Holy Francis and do whatever was asked of him. And being humble, he mentioned nothing about his education or training and, and finally offered his services as an assistant in the kitchen and, and even volunteered to work like a janitor. But there were no takers until, until a father provincial in Bologna needed someone to say Mass. Learning he was a priest, he was finally given assignment. Anthony would say Mass for the religious recluses living in a very small house in an out-of-the-way place off the beaten path. And, in fact, in the whole of Tuscany, it was among the most secluded, the minor house known as Monte Paolo. Here he would say Mass, provide contemplative meditations on holiness, and, by example, he was the holiest of all. There was a cave nearby used for storage, which Anthony chose as his quarters, where his bed was a, a pile of straw and where, undisturbed, he could pray, meditate, and make notes that would be helpful in teaching the faithful the real beauty and meaning of the faith. The cave, which was his room for almost a year until he and his superior traveled to another city for an ordination of a, of a number of friars minor and the friars preachers. This was a large and important gathering, and Anthony's superior was to give the main address on the beauty and possibilities of the priesthood, a very important address. As his superior was about to speak, it was as though he was divinely inspired, or perhaps simply because he had so much respect for Anthony, he deferred at the last minute, asking Anthony to speak. Unprepared and with sublime humility, Anthony had never spoken in public before. Well, he rose and, and quietly started to speak. And as he spoke, his voice became more forceful, and the words he used were as powerful as claps of thunder in a storm. When he finished, the entire audience was spellbound by his logic and eloquence, and this action thrust him into the limelight and prominence that he had so diligently tried to avoid for so many years. Reports of his talks would ultimately reach Francis himself, who expanded Anthony's sphere of influence in encouraging him to speak anywhere he was invited, and even had him sent to the monastery of St. Andrew, where some of the greatest theologians of the time taught, and Anthony was considered a marvel not only for his understanding of Scripture, but his speaking ability and his absolute humility. So renowned was he that later Francis himself had sent to Bologna as lector of theology, where one of his students was Thomas Akempis, who would later author the Imitation of Christ. And there were many who felt Thomas received much of his encouragement and thought from Anthony. As Francis had requested, Anthony traveled and spoke more and more. 
God was surely smiling on him because not only were his words changing hearts and minds, they were accompanied by wonderful happenings that could surely be called nothing short of miracles along the way. As his travels took him from not only city to city, but to France as well, and with God's gifts. In Italy, of course, he spoke in Italian, but in France, he spoke in French, a language he had never studied or learned. And one of the infinite blessings of his sermons was that they were understood by everyone who heard them, not just the words, but what the words and message of the sermon actually were. It may be described as similar to the gift of tongues that the apostles received from the Holy Spirit so many years before. His sermons were not just confined to the lay people of the many communities which he visited, but he also was called upon to speak before the Pope and many cardinals as well. After hearing him speak and considering his message, the Pope said, Verily, this man is the Ark of the Covenant and the vehicle of the Holy Ghost. Pretty impressive comments of the man whose greatest wish was to remain anonymous and by himself where he could meditate and glorify God. I think it's also a very clear picture that God sometimes has other plans for us and uh, his will will be done. God also placed Anthony in the right place at the right time. As in every time frame, the church can be attacked and heresy can sprout up overnight with challenges to the faith. And so it was in Anthony's time. There were heresies all around him and the man who sought to be alone was to be God's defender. Unafraid and and willing to battle using only his words, he spoke unafraid but with gentleness, kindness, as a devout and meek servant of Almighty God. But his words were powerful, and he spoke without fear in the battle for souls, and victory would be his and God's. For example, there was a tyrant who had ruled all of Lombardy for 40 years, a man so vicious it is said that he had 12,000 opponents killed. Everyone in Verona and Padua and the other major cities of Lombardy lived in mortal fear of this cruel and inhumane dictator. Well, one day Anthony addressing the tyrant in person told him that his terrible acts were sacrilegious, crying to heaven for vengeance. His guards were ready to strike Anthony down, but the ruler stopped them and and was so moved by Anthony's words that he, he prostrated himself before Anthony and pleaded with him with tears in his eyes to intercede with God for the pardon of his sins. A fame of Anthony grew with every passing success. A fame he sought to ignore, but it became so great that when he would enter a city to preach, even the shops and stores would close so that his words and message would be heard. At first he would preach in the churches, but they could not hold the crowds, which at one time was listed as many as 30,000 people who stopped all their daily activities just to hear about the word of God from Anthony. 
Now bear in mind that this would be a huge crowd in our day, but consider this was many centuries ago. Today we would need a myriad of loudspeakers for so large a crowd, but he was saying what God wanted them to hear and had no loudspeakers, and his will was done. God's will is always done. After all, we sometimes forget that with God, anything is possible. And from his talks, evil was tossed aside. Confessionals were crowded. Vices were forgotten. Enmities ignored. Bad habits replaced with good. And God was worshipped and his will obeyed. It was said that within a month, the many vices and sin that had been prevalent in Padua, well, they just disappeared. But miracles were nothing new to Anthony. As he traveled, often unannounced, to cities in France and Italy, the sick were cured, special needs were met, and the dead were even brought back to life. As Christ said, as I have done, so shall you do. It's hard to describe exactly what attracted people to Anthony. Certainly his general appearance and demeanor were pronounced. The tone of his voice was said to be soothing, but just maybe it was his own holiness that made people pause and and recognize what was needed to achieve the glory of everlasting life in paradise. Perhaps we should pay more attention to that last bit of information and remember what Bernadette was told at Lourdes. I can't promise you happiness in this life, but in the next. Well, there are so many stories that can be told of Anthony's life and and the many graces God bestowed on him for his faithfulness and, and to remind us that God does exist and what he expects of us. But our time together is so limited, so limited that we can only mention just a few, a very few of the highlights. And like so many of his predecessors, such as Padre Pio in the 20th century, he too was given the gift of bilocation, being in two places at the same time. He was once preaching on Easter Sunday at the cathedral, packed with clergy and the laity. And as he was preaching, he suddenly remembered that he had promised to sing a, a certain song in the choir at a high mass in a neighboring convent, and he had also forgotten to obtain a replacement. Well, a promise was a promise to be kept. Anthony stopped preaching and drew the hood of his vestment over his face and sat down for a moment. The crowd was puzzled but remained quiet, watching the figure of Anthony as he was sitting quietly. But at that very moment, it was time that he was supposed to sing in the choir, and he appeared with the choir in the convent many miles away and sang as promised. At the conclusion of the song, he raised his cowl, stood up, and eloquently finished his sermon at the cathedral. Anthony often followed uh, the same kind of footsteps of Francis. Once Francis was trying to speak when a flock of birds were chirping so loudly that they were drowning out his words, and he commanded them to stop, and they did. Well, 
One day Anthony was preaching near a lagoon when a multitude of frogs started croaking so loudly they drowned out his words. He glanced in their direction and asked them to be silent. Well, the croaking stopped until Anthony finished speaking. A well-known and documented story also took place in the town of Ramini, where the city appeared to have suffered a loss of faith and was filled with heretics who took great delight in bashing the church and her doctrines. Anthony tried to preach to them with kindness as he enumerated the blessings of the faith through their through their hostility, they hopped around, they, they tried to make him feel that his words were inadequate, and, and they literally turned their backs on him as indications of supreme indifference every time he, he attempted to speak. One day, undoubtedly with the influence of the Holy Spirit, Anthony went to the seashore and, facing the water, began to preach the word of God. As he did so, All kinds and sizes of fish, from the very smallest to the largest, suddenly appeared in the water with their heads out of the water looking toward Anthony, where they remained during Anthony's entire talk until he dismissed them at the conclusion of his sermon. The people were amazed at what they had seen and took this as a message from God. And Anthony remained in Ramini for some time, teaching and hearing confessions as the people of the village returned to the faith. But perhaps the most well-known story of Anthony took place in France, in the city of Bourget, where a man lived who, who found many faults with the church, but the greatest was the real presence in the Holy Eucharist. This man was not ignorant, but while he listened to the words of Anthony, this was a fact he could not accept. He could not accept what is known as transubstantiation, bread and wine changing to the body and blood of Christ. And he demanded if this was indeed a miracle, then he wanted another miracle as proof. And he told Anthony if he could prove this claim, well, then he too would embrace Anthony's faith. The man told Anthony that he had a mule, and he would lock the mule in the barn under lock and key and would not feed him anything for three days. He said after three days they would meet in the town square. He would be on one side of the square with the beast's favorite food, and Anthony would be on the far side with this host, this Eucharist. And, well, then they would let the mule prove the point. After the three days, there was a large crowd gathering in the center of the square. The starving mule was placed also in the center and let go. On one side was his food, the other side was the Eucharist. Well, the hungry mule headed straight for the sacred Eucharist and knelt in adoration. And yes, the man became a convert. We often see Anthony depicted with the Christ child. It seems that Anthony was once the guest of a prominent lord and had retired for the night. 
The man could see great brightness and light coming from under the door of Anthony's room, and fearing it was a great fire, he looked through a crevice and saw Anthony kneeling before a table on which stood a child of radiant beauty, unlike anything he had ever seen, with a soft glow and the radiance of heavenly perfume filling the air. The infant whispered something to Anthony, who turned toward the direction of his host, who was looking through the door. And the next day, the host questioned Anthony as to what the child had said to him. And Anthony replied that the child had revealed to him that as long as his host's house remained faithful to the church, it would prosper. But woe to it if it lost the faith. The house was faithfully preserved for several centuries after that until its faith became lost and the house and the dynasty disappeared forever. But throughout all his travels, the many convents, the many cities he had visited, Anthony seemed destined to be forever associated with the city of Padua perhaps because of the great good he achieved in that city which he loved so greatly. After so much effort, his body was suffering from fasting and other penances, and Anthony knew he was approaching his final journey. He was helped into a hospice run by the poor Clares as his life was fading. He prayed and sang quietly, and then, looking upward, as his face was illuminated by, by some great vision. A brother in whose arms he rested asked him, What do you see? And Anthony answered in a rapture, I behold my God. And then he closed his eyes forever. He was just 36 years old. Pope Gregory the Ninth, who had known Anthony, canonized him a saint in 1232, and recognizing his knowledge of Holy Scripture and his writings, Pope Pius XII declared Anthony a doctor of the church. As I mentioned, he is often shown with the Christ child in his arms, representing the very embodiment of the Word of God, and that we too should strive to carry an imag imaginary Christ child in all our undertakings. And if we did, perhaps, just perhaps, that would make our world a better place in which to live. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.